Welcome back everyone, it's time for episode 34 of Customers Who Click. Today I've got May Kowalski with me to explain influence marketing, how it's changed over the years and how brands can make most of it. Uh, influence marketing is such a powerful channel, but you've, you've got to do it right, you've, you've got to do it well, obviously. It's really easy to make mistakes and treat it like any other marketing channel. Uh, I think a lot of people treat it like a performance marketing channel, but it's really not, and I'll let May explain why. Hi, May. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, a bit of your background, and, and why you're doing what you're doing at the moment? Thanks so much for having me, Will. Yes, so my name is May Karbowski. I'm the CEO and founder of Obviously. Uh, we are an influencer marketing agency and tech solution. So we primarily work with large brands who want to really identify the right influencers for them, be able to work at scale. So working with hundreds to thousands of influencers at a given time, and they really want uh, a full service experience. So we handle everything end to end, and we make sure that our brands can really focus on their own marketing strategies. Cool. Okay. So what, yeah, what, at the moment, what's the standard day look like for you? Ignoring coronavirus and that sort of stuff, but... I know I have a little more time at home because I don't have a commute anymore, which is nice. Uh, But other than that, um, I am, you know, primarily doing uh, financial planning, um, talking to our clients, talking to our sales team, our client success teams, really trying to identify um, trends within the data and within, you know, anecdotally with influencers and with our clients to really understand what's happening next in influencer marketing um, and where's the space going and where do we need to be positioned um, within that evolution. Cool. Sounds great. Uh, you mentioned data there. something I'd like to, to touch on in a bit. But do you want to just kind of tell us a bit more about influencer marketing generally? Because I know it's something that's been around for quite a while now, but I feel maybe there's some, well, we'll get into misconceptions later. But yeah, it'd be good to get your opinion and your like view on, on what influencer marketing is, uh, how it works, who it works for, that sort of thing. <laughs> Definitely. So uh, just kind of baseline, an influencer is a person who has, you know, a social media presence and they have been able to organically grow an audience um, for the content they're creating. And there's a lot of power in that because that person has an audience that really cares about the content that they're putting out there, whether it's on a really niche topic like scuba diving or whether it's on a more mainstream topic like how to raise your children. So that's really interesting and it presents a huge opportunity to us when you actually start to work at scale with influencers who reach a specific audience and a specific audience segment. And you then start introducing those influencers to brands that want to get in front of that audience segment as well. Um, And we can do that at scale because there are billions of people on these social channels And we have access to the data as to who is following which influencers and who is really driving purchase decisions, who is actually, you know, driving people to consider a new brand or to buy their products. Uh, And when you have access to all of that data and all of those influencers and their audiences, um, it's a, it's a really huge opportunity for brands who are trying to, to get in front of their potential customers. Okay. So, I mean, can you go, like as deep or granular as choosing where in the customer life cycle you want to target. So can you identify influencers who are really good at like spread, spreading a brand message and getting that, that kind of uh, almost like a brand exposure out there. And then there are other influencers who are just really, really good at actually selling a product. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Um, and so, I mean, I think in general, 
working with influencers is great to get your brand on uh, target audiences radar. Uh, and so almost all influencers are, are good at that. Um, so, you know, I follow an influencer who's really big into, um, to working out. She tells me about a new, uh, you know, apparel line that she loves to wear. I now know about them. I didn't know about them before. And I now know that someone I follow and think her, all of her recommendations are great. Now I'm, now I have a positive view of this new brand that I'd never heard of previously. So I think baseline influencers are great for brand awareness. And that's true if you're working with a very large influencer who has a million followers to an influencer who maybe has, you know, 5,000 followers. Um, now, I think where it gets really interesting is when you want to target people at different parts of the life cycle, um, like, like you're talking about. As you go further down the life cycle, you tend to work with smaller and smaller influencers um, because they have higher and higher engagement rates because their audiences are smaller and their audiences are extremely engaged. So, and then within that, you're looking at who is actually moving product. Um, and so we do that by actually testing to see when an influencer posts about this, um, people buy through their link, people buy with a promo code, or there's an indirect lift in that sale of that one particular product. And we're not doing any other advertising around that product at that moment. Um, so I think, you know, we have, we have a client, it's a high-end luxury client. They have an influencer that posts about their handbags. And whenever they post about this particular brand's handbags, they move at least one $10,000 handbag. Um, so you can get that granular and that's primarily working with smaller or what we call micro influencers. Now, the what makes that more complicated is it's not just hey, I'll work with any influencer who has 15,000 followers and I'm now going to drive more sales. It really comes down to which influencers are you working with? Who makes up their audience? How motivated are they to buy in general? And then how motivated are they to buy in particular for your brand and where your brand's positioned? So that's where all the data and the optimization really comes in that we kind of mentioned briefly at the beginning. Yeah, so do you use use quite a a data-led approach to identifying which influencers are best for which brands. So Definitely. And and it's, it's even, it's going more and more in that direction. You know, I would say a few years ago, brands were primarily concerned with the aesthetic and the general like reputation of the influencer that they're working with. You know, they're like, Oh, I want to work with Kylie Jenner, <laughs> or I want to work with, you know, some big sports star. They are really thinking a bit more of like a celebrity endorsement mindset and now we've really evolved past that where we're working with, no, we're working with the influencers who are going to drive the desired outcomes for you. And we're also going to make sure that, you know, we fit an aesthetic that isn't off brand for you uh, at the same time. But it, it is a pretty different mindset that's being driven by data as opposed to just, hey, who do you want to be in your TV commercial? Yeah. I mean, I think when I did, when I did a little bit of influencer marketing kind of for, four or five years ago i think um when it was it was i guess still the early days of little agencies popping up to try and manage influencers and bring, bring brands on um and the, back then there was a bit of this this idea that you just wanted to target the guys with the most followers because mm-hmm. because if the, if they have the most followers they have the most potential reach and, right and there was also i guess a bit of maybe pressure from the top as well to say, you know, why are we spending, if we're going to spend money on influencers on Instagram, we want to be targeting the people who have 
a million, two million followers, not the people with, you know, 10, 20,000. Um, but then a bit later, what I started to see was more and more people saying, you know, you've got to be targeting the influencers who get the engagement because they're the ones who are actually the, get, give you the value. Right. And I think a, a big factor of that, and I, I mean, I came from social media and social media management before I started, obviously. And I would see firsthand at the companies that I worked for, um, you know, social media teams are tasked with a lot of work at a given time. And a lot of people who manage them don't realize just how time intensive that work can be. Um, So, you know, a social media team is being told, hey, you know, let's launch an influencer campaign. It could make sense if they don't have much time to pay $100,000 to an influencer who has 3 million followers to get one post to hit that reach rather than, oh, why don't we work with 250 micro-influencers, five mid-tier influencers, and have them post over the course of a quarter and measure who's working and who doesn't. Because most internal teams, especially, you know, don't, they, they don't have the time and they're not set up to do that correctly. It takes a lot of time to identify the right people, to communicate with them, to negotiate with them, to figure out what, the, what product they want and then ship that product and then vet the content, make sure it's posted on the right time, and then go back and do all the reporting on that content and then choose which people you're going to keep working with and who you're not. Um, so I think most brands just were not set up to work with micro-influencers. And that's really where, where, we, can, where we come in and um, where, you know, where obviously is really a, firmly established ourselves. It's like, it takes a lot to do this right, to do it at scale and to really use the data in the right way. Um, and it is relatively new. So it's, it's really hard for people to do that without, without, you know, having those technical chops. Yeah. I mean, I suppose yeah, you're asking a social media person to take on a whole nother role. They've got to be an account. Oh, totally. And, and like the number of emails, you know, we just did a campaign with 300 influencers. I think we, we put in the final report, like 17,000 emails were sent over the course of this campaign. <laughs> you know, it's like, As in just, that's a lot. just managing it. Yeah, just back and forth between us yeah. and the influencers, making sure that like they felt good about it. We answered all their questions, and it's customer service with VIPs who are influential. You know, you have a bad experience yeah. with the brand um, when you're an influencer. Like, you don't want to you don't want to get put on blast by an influencer. You want to make sure they have a great experience with your brand. So, so stakes are much higher than you know normal customer service. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I want to talk about some like maybe some myths and misconceptions about influencer marketing. Um, but both from kind of brands and consumer points of view. Um, I guess from a consumer point of view, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I guess the, the one big thing that comes to mind is whether it's obvious it's an ad or whether someone is being paid to be an influencer, but kind of trying to hide it. And maybe that affects trust and things. Yeah. So, you know, I think this question is really interesting and it, it really kind of breaks along generational lines as well. So I think, you know, you talk to a 17-year-old consumer, you're going to get a much different take than if you're talking to a 45-year-old consumer. Um, And I think that's because the 17-year-old has grown up with influencer marketing and saw some stat, it's like 70% of high schoolers want to be an influencer as their job when when, when they grow up, Um, which, you know, talk to a 45-year-old, they're like, that's not a real job. (laughs) Like for a lot of... (laughs) A lot, of, a lot of people don't realize what a big industry it is and how much money actually can be made. 
Yeah. So I think when you're talking to a younger customer and you see this on like a platform like TikTok, um, people are really supportive. They think it's cool when an influencer is partnering with a brand that they love. Uh, I think it, it just needs to be one. It can't be like a really tacky or inauthentic collaboration. It needs to really make sense for it. And then, then the audience is like, has, and we can, we show this in the data, the audience can have an overwhelmingly positive reaction that's usually performed at average or above average compared to, you know, their normal organic non-sponsored content. You know, the, the audience is like, Oh, that's awesome. You're working with Sephora. Like, congrats. <laughs> you know, you, you love Sephora. You love what you do. This is a huge deal for you. Um, and I think when you get to, you know, older consumers, it's really important that uh, the influencer goes really far out of their way to, to talk about the fact that they're working with a brand and that they're partnering with a brand and why they decided to partner with the brand. Um, but I think even then you're really seeing that once they're clear and very transparent that this is a sponsored, uh, a sp- a sponsored content, that most audiences, um, older audiences are, are fine with that as well. It's when, you know, someone tries to sneak in hashtag ad at the end of like 20 hashtags and not be upfront about the fact that they're working with this company. Um, Or if it's something that's just so clearly not a fit with that person's brand. Um, You know, I think Ariana Grande did something with Starbucks where they had a a drink named after her and and she's vegan and the drink wasn't vegan. So she wasn't even drinking it in the post, you know, like things like that. Audiences are going to call that out because they're savvy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a disaster. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the shocking stuff. And it's all those mistakes you see as well where people have copied and pasted the instructions in as well. Oh, my God, that's terrible. Um, I know. Yeah, that's why we don't even do creative briefs in a way that you could ever copy and paste because it's like yeah. that's the opposite of what we want. We want someone to tell us a story about why they like or care about this product or what it means to them um, in a real genuine way. And if they can't do that or they don't feel that way about that product or brand, we don't want them to be anywhere near that brand in a, in a sponsored um, content context. Yeah. I mean, I think one of my favorite ads that I've, or favorite ad uh, segment that I've, I, I hear every now and again is, um, is on the off menu podcast. Um, basically what they've done is that they used to run literally just ad segments. So I think they use, um, uh, I can't remember what the, the site is called. They, they use one of the podcast sites that allows you to just add, you know, 30 sec, 30 second segments for advertisements right. to rerun. And I don't know if people buy on specific podcasts or if it's a, like a bidding tool, like a performance marketing tool, but what they've done more recently is they actually, the hosts actually do the ads mm-hmm. and they do it in a way which does feel like really genuine. So even though, you know, they are advertising, you know, the recent one was for a um, on-demand TV channel here in the UK. Um, but they're talking about the different shows that are on there and they even relate it back to the podcast at times. So they're saying like, this show is on. And if you remember, we had this guy on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago who was on the show. Yeah. And that's going to perform so much better than just a spliced in ad with a different voice when, you know, you kind of like, I want to hear I'd be willing to listen to, to an ad if it's from like my favorite podcast host telling me what, what some of their like new favorite TV shows are like, that's cool. <laughs> I'm looking for that content. Um, yeah. So I think that, you know, that that's something I would engage with, listen to and pay attention to. And I think that's, 
that's just what we're trying to do um, when, when working with influencers is you want to tell a compelling story to an audience that cares about them and then associate your brand to it. Yeah, exactly. And th- these guys are comedians as well. So, and that really comes across like you, you can tell they've either written the ads themselves or they've heavily influenced it. Um, oh yeah. There's a podcast I listen to where they're just kind of like trolling and making fun of some of the ad copy, but it's hilarious at the same time. And I remember all of the brands that they're talking about. Yeah. It's just so much better than, yeah. Either having a, just an ad suddenly cut in and disrupt the podcast or, or if they just, they're just given a fixed script to run with. Just another thing I remembered, um, a lot of TV advertisements here are starting to use celebrities. Um, and in <laughs> fact, actually, I heard one the other day, which was one of the hosts from that podcast. And I just oh, awesome. rec- I recognized his voice immediately. Um, and it actually, it made me pay attention. Um, having said that, I can't tell you what the ad was anymore. I uh, can't remember <laughs> what it was, but I just remember hearing his voice. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes a difference. And, and I think podcasting is so interesting too, because you just have, you know, talk about engagement um, with an influencer. When you have a podcast, you know, you have a group of people waiting for and tuning in to a podcast, you know, on a, a weekly or monthly basis and really, you know, really knowing and, and recognizing a person's voice and their viewpoint. And it's actually like a, it, it's a very close relationship for, for, for the listener. Um, so I think that's like, you know, just a great example of influencer marketing. Just back on the kind of myths and misconceptions, are, are there any from a brand point of view that you've come across? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of brands are, are becoming really savvy when working with influencers, but I, there still is a real divide between what a brand um, expects from how influencers work and operate and their process um, as opposed to how influencers work and operate in reality. Um, I'd actually use, you know, the example you just gave, it's, it's the difference between having an ad snippet completely unrelated that the brand controls just dropped into the middle of a podcast versus the podcast host actually taking the time to craft it in a way that's very uniquely their own so that their audience cares about it. Um, this can be a big problem with brands. So a brand sometimes just wants to take something that's very much their own vision, their own creative control, looks very similar to their own creative, their own website, their own advertising, and just make an influencer create content that's very similar to what they would normally do, what the brand would normally do, and just drop it into their feed and expect the results to be great. Whereas what actually works a lot better is when an influencer takes the product, takes a creative brief, understands the points that the brand really wants to highlight, but then they totally make it their own. Um, and then when they put it out onto their, uh, onto their account on their platform, on the, the given platform, their audience sees that this person has really made this product their own and made the product story their own. And it's just going to perform so much better. Um, and I think that can really be hard for some brands to, to realize like, oh, I'm going to kind of seed all control here and let this influencer do what they want with my product. Um, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the point is we want to get in front of their audience and we want to do it in a real authentic way to drive better results for you. Yeah. I mean, they're supposed to be influencers, not, they're not like a performance marketing channel. Where you yeah, just, exactly. You, I mean, we'll have a creative brief from a brand. <laughs> yeah. We'll have a creative brief from a brand and it will be like, 
can you have the perfume bottle at like a 45 degree angle? So like half of the label is clearly red and like a velvet backdrop. And we're like, this influencer has never had velvet like, or an object like that in the forefront of any of their photos. Like they usually take photos with like their dog and their kids. Like this doesn't make sense. It's going to look really weird in their account on, on their feed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it ties back to what you mentioned about the the transparency and the authenticity earlier. Um, if, if a product or a brand doesn't match that influencer, it's very obvious. And it's probably very obvious when the, even if it is a brand that you'd expect that person to want to work with or like working with, it's very obvious if it's uh, marketing, content that's been driven by the brand and they haven't actually had a say in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's an influencer that I love to follow and, um, you know, she, she's in the, the fitness and wellness space and she's has a long-term partnership with a, um, vitamin company. And she, like all of her posts were about going to their headquarters to visit, to like learn more about what they do to meet the marketing team, um, to just talk through like her thoughts on the new products. And that all kind of played out over a few posts and, you know, numerous stories on Instagram. Um, but it was just so authentic because she was so excited to be there. She like worked out in their, like their office gym. <laughs> like it was just such a great story because she is psyched about the brand. She loves their products. Um, and it was clearly like, you know, she's building this relationship with this company and she's driving a ton of sales for them as well. Yes. Yeah, so it's less of a, um, almost like less of an advertisement and more just almost like content marketing, but through the advertiser uh, through the influencer even. Yep. Yeah. You know, one, one example we love to give clients is like, Hey, you know, think about your, like your most fashionable friend and, you know, would you go to them for like what new jacket you should buy for this winter? Or would you go to your friend who like, you don't really care what they wear and you never really notice, like you're going to go to your friend that you really care about um, their opinion. Cause they have a really great fashion sense. Like we want to be find all of those people for you and, and for have them talk about your you know, your outerwear line. Do you ever do like in, any in-person stuff with them or is it all purely related to their social media feed? So would, would you ever, do you ever like arrange or work with brands on events that they want influencers to turn up to? And then the, yeah. the social content comes from that. We actually, yeah, we actually do a lot of, uh, a lot of experiential and we found it to be just a really great way um, to, to work with influencers and actually for, for a few reasons. One, it's really great to get an influencer to actually like meet and get to know the brand team, like not just on email, you know, get to know yeah. everyone that they've talked to, get to learn more about the brand. Um, the influencer feels really special too. Cause you know, if you're an influencer in the beauty category and you get to meet, you know, the, the Ulta beauty team, um, which is like a, you know, a really big retailer in the U S um, that's going to be really exciting to you. <laughs> and you want to have a conversation with, with that team about, Hey, what are all the different brands that you guys are launching in, in 2021? What are the trends you're seeing? Like, that's going to be a fun conversation. So we love to just facilitate uh, actually meeting in person because it is just, it just brings the relationship so much further along so much faster. Uh, and then the other big thing is that, you know, well, I mean, other than outside of, you know, given quarantines and, and COVID, yeah. um, brands are just have been spending so much on really amazing, intricate, beautiful, um, experiential activations. Uh, and usually those are at quite a high pr uh, price point to like construct and produce, but you can only have so many people walk through them. 
you know, the amount of foot traffic you can get through, um, you know, an awesome activation at Coachella um, is, you know, it, it might be 100,000 people max. Um, so you're looking at a pretty high price point per person to actually go and experience that activation. But if you then bring, you know, 25, 50 influencers through that activation, you know, maybe they get to go before anyone else. Um, and then they get to broadcast that to their followers. You've now extended the reach of that um, experience and to, you know, potentially millions more people who are going to think it's really cool as well, um, but they didn't necessarily get to walk through it themselves. So it's a great way to really amplify what you're doing on the ground uh, to more people. And, and, and then it's really exciting for the influencers and it makes great content too. So, you know, the influencers are excited and, and their audiences are excited. So it, it, the synergies there are really, really fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I could see. Yeah, I like that idea actually using influencers just amplify uh, something else that you're working on. Definitely. One thing we've been doing a lot of actually um, is uh, virtual focus groups and, and and like we do surveys as well, but really having a brand talk more to a group of influencers over Zoom and um, really like, you know, having them try out the product, give their feedback on product, on, you know, its, its appearance, packaging, uh, you know, directions, everything. Uh, and then having the brand be able to take that feedback and incorporate it into, you know, their own merchandising plans. And that's been a great way to really kind of make that experience, you know, that really have that in-person connection, um, even, even now if they can't meet in person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I always talk about getting customer feedback. I think it's really, really important. And yeah, I suppose if you, if you're limited in the number of focus groups you can do it, you obviously want to get some feedback from the people who are actual customers and they, they, they buy from your brand uh, frequently, but if you can get those influencers in who uh, maybe buy from your brand as well, but also know the audience and know, know what people want, know the content they want. Um, you can get you probably get a bit of feedback on the product, but you also get feedback on the marketing and the messaging as well. Yeah, definitely. So I mean, it's like, like say you're launching um, a fitness apparel line and you get your product to, you know, 20 top uh, women influencers who have all, I mean, they've all been exposed to all the other apparel lines in the market. They're going to give you like such specific feedback, not just yeah. of, like, Hey, here's what performs well when I wear it on my channel. But you know, the stretch and the quality of these workout pants are, you know, this one, you know, this is really great. This color isn't so great. I mean, they'll give you super specific feedback because they really are experts in the field. Like they've worn all of your competitors clothing and for a living, they tell people what they think about, <laughs> about yeah. all of the products out in the market. So it's, it's really valuable feedback. And at the same time, you're building strong relationships with, with, you know, very influential people in your field. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, being a bit like too prescriptive with the, with the creative um, as a mistake that brands make. Um, are there any other kind of big or common mistakes you, you see brands or marketers making when, uh, when working with influencers? Uh, yeah, I think I think not realizing that they're working with an influencer who has their own audience and has certain things that are really important to them um, when they're growing their own career is important. You know, like, and and I understand why this happens. So if if you're a brand manager, you're used to working with you know a videographer, a photographer, people you contract with, or or, or who are on your staff. You know, you can give them 
a deadline. You can give them very specific details as to what they shoot. Their sole responsibility is to you and to your <laughs> the deliverables that you want because you're writing them a check. Um, when you're an influencer, you're dealing with a few more variables. One is, are they creating content that their audience is going to like? Um, is it going to you know, continue to boost their profile? When should they post it? You know, Most influencers are actually super busy. They're either traveling a lot or they're working with several brands and they're really trying to figure out and they know pretty well when they should post content um, and in what order to really get the best engagement possible. Um, so a lot of times we see brands who are, you know, just overly prescriptive about the entire process, you know, wanting a turnaround time of 24 hours for, you know, for edits on a, on a photo, for instance, because maybe that's what they expect of their, you know, the, the photographers on their own staff. But this is actually, you know, an influencer who might be in a different state in a different country who also has a lot of other things going on. Um, and we need, we're always looking out to make sure that we have like the right contracting timelines, and that the influencers are going to be happy at the end of the day with what they've created just as much so as the brand is. Um, and I think sometimes the brand forgets like, oh, you really need a happy influencer too. Cause you really want them to keep working with you. If this, if, if this goes well, we want to keep working with them and we want to make sure that it's at a, you know, a, a great rate so that it's cost efficient for you to keep working with them. Um, so I think that's really sort of the, an, an important part that, uh, that most brands need to realize as well. Yeah, so treating them more like a partner uh, rather than yep. just, uh, yeah, like I mentioned, like a performance marketing channel. You don't just up- upload the requirements, the audience, and, and you're creative and, and hit, hit play or hit go. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think there's just like, and that's really, you know, to the performance marketing uh, point you just made. Like, I think there's so much opportunity um, with really the, the synergies between performance marketing and influencer marketing. Um, and there's like just such great ways to amplify with paid what influencers are doing organically. Um, but we need to make sure that the organic content is actually like authentic and organic <laughs> and is really true to that person um, rather than just making it, you know, another ad that you'd put out um, by a performance marketing team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if a, if a brand wanted to get started with influence marketing or, or maybe they do it a little bit, but they want to review it, what, what are some of the key things they need to be considering? So I think it, an important thing is to really understand what, what their goals are and how to set them up for success. Um, so, and once we realize, understand what the goals are, we can really scope a project accordingly. I think one thing that's difficult about influencer marketing when you're just starting out is that, you know, the tendency is just, hey, like, let's do a really small test and we'll test and learn. Um, but the issue is if you're working with, say, three micro-influencers and they each have 10,000 followers, the maximum amount number of people you're reaching is 30,000 people. And we all know you're not actually, you know, that's estimated. Um, and, you know, you might be racking up a few thousand likes and comments. Um, if you're a large brand, there's you know, there's really no likelihood that that made a huge dent or that really, you know, show will has the likelihood to actually like create a successful outcome for your brand. You need, you still need to test at a certain level and you need to achieve a certain amount of scale for a given brand to actually be able to demonstrate results. And that can be really hard when you're testing out working with influencers, because maybe you only have one person dedicated to it and you're not going to be ready to work with 50 influencers at a given time yet. Um, but at some point, you know, you're not, you're not achieving the scale to even see any real results. 
And I think that's where a lot of brands fall down. You know, the number of brands who have come to me or come to obviously and said, oh yeah, we tried it before. It really didn't work for us. And then we're like, okay, well, let's dig into what you did. And, you know, they worked with five influencers and, you know, they were all very small or they worked with one really large influencer and, uh, you know, 25% of their followers were fake and the rest didn't hit were nowhere near the audience segment this brand was trying to actually get in front of. Um, so I think it's really making sure that you have the right goal in mind and that you have the right strategy to, to actually be able to um, validate what success looks like for you. Yeah. So it's not a, not a cheap channel to, to test out. Would that be right? Um, I mean, like you've, you've I think got to be comparatively, to comparatively, it can be really cost efficient. You know, if you look at what some D 2 C brands we work with, um, you know, they're spending millions of dollars on, on Facebook and Google. Um, so, you know, you could achieve some really significant results with, you know, a, a 10th of the, like, you know, with a hundred thousand dollars or with $50,000. Um, so I think relatively it's actually, it can be super cost efficient compared to their other channels. But I think sometimes people are like, oh, let's try it out with like, you know, a thousand dollars that will, you know, we'll give a few hundred bucks to, to four influencers and see how it goes. It's like, okay, well, you're not really going to be able to learn much from that. Like, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but, but, but you know, you're not going to be able to tell if that was successful or not because it's just too small. Yeah. So it can have a really, it can be really cost effective, um, really good ROI, but you have to be willing to put a, a, you know, a bit of money into it to, to get it going. Right. And getting over that hump, like, understandably, I too am a business owner. So like, I get that that can sometimes be like, you know, it, it can be a higher hurdle, especially if you're a, a small brand, just, just entering into the market. Um, but I think that's also really where you can differentiate as a small brand and, and have like a really core group of influencers who love, love your company, have really strong relationships with you, and are just going to champion you um, in a way that, you know, your potentially much larger competitors don't have that edge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you see any big trends coming up in either the way businesses use influencers uh, or how influencers operate, how consumers respond to influence? Yeah. Just influencer marketing generally, any big trends you see coming up in maybe the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah. Longer? You know, we're really seeing brands push for more holistic influencer programs and uh, you know, I would say for the last few years, it's been, you know, they'll do maybe one really large campaign around several brand launches or product launches, sorry, product launches. Um, and then, but now we're seeing like, okay, we need our whole 2021 plan mapped. We need to know who we're working with um, over what time period, how much are we working um, with each given influencer? How are we, you know, really seeing who we should continue to work with and who should we, you know, stop uh, investing in? And then who should we be recruiting and when, and really creating a whole network of influencers that they're working with um, over the given year and then into 2022, 2023. Um, so really building out these brand ambassador programs that I think people are talking a lot and using the term brand ambassador program a lot now, but I think we're really, really figuring out and optimizing on a brand basis. Like what does it mean for your company to have a brand ambassador program in 2021? Yeah, so it's less um, less. We need to launch this product. Who can we get into to be an influencer, and more almost like an always on kind of channel. Right. Um, yeah. Exactly. And so yeah. then that raises like new questions around optimization, and you know who do we work with, who do we keep working with, 
who do we yeah. stop working with? Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think that's a really exciting place to be because you, you get these long-term brand advocates um, who their audiences know that they just genuinely love your brand and love working with you. And it's not, oh, I work with them once and I'm not going to talk about them again. It's like, oh no, this is, you know, one of the, one of my stable of brands that I just am continuously working with because I love what they do and I'm psyched to, I'm psyched to work with them. Yeah. Uh, it just reminded me of um, when I, I ran some TV advertising uh, a few years ago um, and we got advised that the kind of the strategy for TV advertising is to do, I think it's six weeks on, like four weeks off, six weeks on, four weeks off, and basically just keep rolling it. So you can't yeah. do one campaign, but also you can't do it all the time. Um, so you have this kind of on-off, but almost like, so it's almost always on because it kind of links up with other channels and things. Um, but you can't just do it as one campaign and um, to launch a product and that's it. Like if, if you're going to get the most out of TV, you have to run it um, over a sustained period. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely what, what we're seeing too. And, and kind of what we're trying to answer, um, you know, on a per brand per influencer basis is like, you know, how many times do you want to show the, this influencer's audience that they're partnering with you? Like what's, you know, when does it become diminishing returns? Um, and, and when is the most impactful? Yeah. Um, and you know, how do we, how do we really tailor the program for the different influencers and audiences you're trying to get in front of? Um, and then, yeah, this is going to be, you know, several years of work. Uh, but I think, yeah, we're, we're really excited. We're already seeing some really great results. Yeah. Um, just speaking of TV, actually, or just like other mediums, do you, do you think um, influencers will start to get involved in other advertising channels with brands? As, I guess as part of that brand ambassador thing. So instead of just doing an advertisement for a product, you actually do an advertisement, which is the influencers there talking about the product or, you know, almost doing kind of Instagram or TikTok style content, but for TV adverts or Facebook adverts or creative that the brand can use. Yeah. So I think this is actually, this is a really big opportunity for a lot of brands. Uh, and I think it's actually, it's extremely disruptive as well because, you know, we actually already have brands that are, have influencer content on TV and on billboards and powering their websites, their email, um, their own social channels. So, you know, maybe it's not a hundred percent of all of their other channels, but they now have, you know, 25% of their contents created by influencers. And when you look at, you know, what, you know, how much it costs to engage with an influencer versus how much it costs to have, you know, that creative team, either through an advertising agency or internally, the cost savings is, is quite significant. Um, you know, one of our largest clients, they actually were able to reduce their um, creative budget by 80% on the projects that we had influencers working on. Um, so I think that there's, and also the, the content was performing better than the content that the, their team, that the brand team internally had been creating. So I think that there's a, a really big opportunity um, there to, for brands to really tap into this content and that these creators are putting out onto channels have been like fine tuning and understanding what's really going to catch someone's eye um, and be able to use that elsewhere uh, in a really cost effective way. Yeah. Well, I think it comes down to that with like user generated content. It's, you know, I guess a bit more trustworthy, feels more genuine if an influencer is talking about it. Um, I actually had definitely a podcast episode about, uh, about podcasting. Actually, and uh, he mentioned that one of the, one of the biggest mistakes brands make is that they 
they either insist or think that it should be someone in the company who is the podcast host. And actually, it doesn't have to be. Um, it's just the way businesses think. They just assume that, you know, this is another marketing channel we're activating. So someone in the company has to run it. Um, and he actually said, you know, so a lot of the time it's better to have someone external host it because also you take away that um, like conflict of interest mm-hmm. and it becomes a bit more transparent. Obviously, if, if the host of the podcast is uh, an employee of that brand, they're only going to say good things about the brand. Yeah, I think. And so I think, you know, you just have the inertia of, uh, you know, uh, a brand marketing team that, you know, no one's going to, it's, it's not really the, the, it's definitely a more disruptive thing to come in and say, okay, we're going to be significantly cutting this team and cutting our budget um, because we're going to have influencers we work with now creating this content. Um, So that can be a really hard thing. But what we, what we have seen, especially this year within um, so many brands, especially when quarantine was like first put into effect, their own production teams could not create content. Um, so we actually had a no, like a flurry of contracts come in for influencers who already had, you know, a studio at home or they already had their own setup at home and they just started live streaming on behalf of the brands. Um, they started creating all the content for the social channels and for the ads. So none of the brands went dark um, during, you know, the first few weeks of quarantine as they figured out their own production uh, workflows. And so yeah. that was really cool to see. And we're like, oh, you know, they could actually do this all the time. <laughs> and like, yeah. you know, the engagement was extremely high um, and, and the cost was greatly reduced. So I think it is, I think it is really interesting. Yeah, I guess the, the, the way to be less disruptive with it is to kind of activate new channels with influencers, like start off by doing things that the current teams aren't doing mm-hmm. and then kind of, I guess, start to blend them in a bit. And say, well, actually, we think there's more opportunity here for influencers as well. Mm-hmm, um, definitely. Yeah. And I think that, like a really interesting part about influencer content is that, you know, I think there's so much promise with UGC and I think re- reviews are just so powerful. But I think when you start getting into uh, UGC, there's like photo or video uh, brand teams quickly learn that the quality is so variable and usually it's quite poor. So it can actually be hard to like, you there really is a trade-off of like, oh, will this actually diminish our brand if we put this on our own owned channels um, or our own website? Whereas with an influencer, you you know their aesthetic, you know their body of work, um, you have the same user-generated like vouching for your product and they're usually like extremely detailed if you want them to be, but you know the the quality is going to be of a certain level where you really can use it and people are really going to pay attention for the right reasons. Um, So I think there is a lot of promise there. Yeah, I know what you mean about user-generated content uh, can be of questionable quality. Um, I mean, some of it's great, but some of it you're like, oh, like that might actually really work. <laughs> like, like you might really might really like move some product, but I don't know if the brand's going to want to put that on their own, you know, in their own email. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, moving on a little bit, uh, do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing? Uh, yeah, I think one one pet peeve I have is uh, brands not recognizing their um, attribution issues. You know, I think sometimes like retargeting just gets so much credit for so much else that's happening along the customer journey. And I think that like brands just need to be really critical of the data that they're looking at. Um, You know, I think that happens to us quite a bit. We'll, We'll do a very large brand awareness campaign and then, you know, the brand's retargeting efforts all of a sudden become so much more successful 
And it's like, yeah, that's, that's because more and more people now know about them, went to the website once, clicked through, and then eventually bought after they were retargeted to a few times. Um, so I think that like that to me can be, can be frustrating because it's like, yeah, you know, we launched this big campaign and then, you know, your retargeting uh, campaign all of a sudden really started to outperform. Let's look at the correlations there. So I think a lot of brands do have, you know, a lot of troubles mapping the customer journey. And, and I think that, you know, I would just advise real caution there because I think there's, there's a lot of really important things that can be gleaned from the data, but you got to really look at it uh, critically. Yeah. And I mean, when that happens, obviously when good things happen, uh, happen, uh, the, the team who gets impacted by that is less likely to kind of dive into the data and explore it. Yeah. It's like, you know, think, yeah, exactly. It's like, Oh, the pay team's crushing it now. It's like, well, maybe they're crushing it because we just exposed 2 million people to like, like in a really yeah. valuable customer set who never knew about your brand before. And then they went to check it out. Um, which is, which is great. Like, you know, you need to do all of those things together, but I think it's, yeah, it is easy to say, Oh, my numbers are great. I have to be the reason for it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and finally, do, do you think there's an underrated aspect of marketing at the moment? Uh, you know, I think that working with, uh, with customers or like, or, you know, we call me the na- nano influencers or, or customers um, and actually getting their feedback, making them feel special, um, really, uh, really like creating a community is extremely important. And there are some really, you know, Glossier, I think is an excellent example. There are a number of brands that are really just doing a fantastic job, really reaching out to their community and building a strong community. Um, I think that that is, is definitely underrated because um, if you can just get customers who already work with you, I mean, who already buy from you, who already love your product to just continually tell their friends and followers about, about how much they, how much they love you and have them create content on your behalf. I think that's, you know, that's hugely, that, that's hugely impactful. Um, and then, you know, if you're able to really scale that community, that becomes just like a huge asset for any brand. Um, so I know I kind of like, you know, made a dig at UGC earlier, but I think that's really just if, if it's, you know, being featured maybe within your email on your, on your own website, but if you can get, you know, influencers from, you know, someone with millions of followers down to someone who has, you know, a thousand followers, if they love your brand and they, you know, they would love to, you know, have a closer relationship with your brand to be able to really like make that happen is, is just very impactful. And it, it really separates out the extremely strong brands from the weaker ones. Kind of links into like loyalty schemes and things. Um, I've had a few conversations with people recently about loyalty schemes and how it really bothers me that so many of them are just points for every pound or dollar you spend. And that's pretty much the, there's a huge opportunity there. Yeah. That's pretty much the only interaction you have with that loyalty scheme. Every now and again, you get an email saying you've got X number of points. Once you, once you hit this level, you'll get a discount. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I'm in a, I think I'm in a Facebook group for like uh, the sneaker company called Noble and people post every single day with like, here's, here's the pair I'm wearing today. And it's like the same people have, you know, 30 pairs of shoes and they're just obsessed with this company. And they're like, wow, this, this is, you know, the number of like pairs of shoes per customer just must be through the roof for like a certain segment of people who are just so excited to post within this community. I really hope that they're capturing this and like feeding this and making these people feel really special. Uh, I think there's, there's yeah, I know. (laughs) I should write them an email, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) 
Cool. Well, I mean, it's been absolutely fantastic stuff. Uh, yeah, influencer marketing. I think there's a huge opportunity out there still. Um, not enough brands, in my opinion, kind of tapping into it. Um, how can people get in touch if they want to find out more or, um, or, or look into influencer marketing? Yeah, how, how do they get in touch? Yeah, definitely. So our website is obvious.ly. Um, you can drop me an email at mae at obvious.ly. Um, yeah, we're happy to, happy to have a conversation. Perfect. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Influence marketing is a really exciting space. I think there's so much more to come from it, whether it's using its path to the, like an always-on campaign or just for specific customer activations and experiences. If you want to do it yourself, you're going to have to work hard and you know, really dedicate some resource to it. It's you know, pretty much an account management role on top of whatever, whatever other job you're doing at the time. Uh, and that's why using an agency like obviously makes sense. You've got to work hard to identify the influencers who match your brand, uh, and hopefully they'll just be out there in the wild anyway. Don't be overly prescriptive with your requirements. Um, you'll, you'll put a lot of influencers off, and, and you just won't get the performance from the others. As the audience will know, it's not really a post from them. It's, it, you know, it looks more like an advert. Uh, most importantly, don't treat it like a performance marketing channel. It's, it's not at all. It's a m- much more like a partnership, um, partnership marketing channel. If you'd like to learn more about influence marketing, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or head to obvious.ly. If you've used influence marketing before, I'd love to hear from you. So please email will at customerswhoclick.com with your experiences, whether they've been good or bad. It'd just be great to see how this has been um, working for people. Next up, I've got Fiona Stevens, the head of marketing at Loyalty Line, and we're talking about loyalty programs and the different ways brands can benefit from them. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Mm-hmm.